Welcome to Weekly, the show where we recap the week on Eurogamer for you and dive into more detail on some of the juicier talking points. Remember, premium supporters of Eurogamer get these episodes every Friday, whereas everyone else listens from Monday. You can find out more about that below or on the Eurogamer.net website. I'm Bertie, a longtime writer for Eurogamer, and I'm joined today by Reviews Editor Chris Tamsel. Hey, Chris. Hello. As How well as... I'm good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, anyway. Um, as... <laughs> As well as on her weekly debut, work experience reporter Liv. Hey, Liv. Hello. It's lovely to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, Apologies to make my debut. Awesome. Apologies for the break in weekly uh, schedule uh, last week while Gamescom was in full voice, uh, but I thought the two newscasts we put out last week were enough. I didn't want to swamp you. I also sneakily wanted to wait for our person on the ground there, Chris Tapsell to return so we could talk about it and now he has welcome back chris hello thanks <laughs> <You're> so... <laughs> feeling full of energy <laughs> you sound delighted <laughs> so how was it how was gamescom the big gamescom return it was actually very very good um i really liked it and it was despite despite my demeanor energizing um i really uh, i really enjoyed it i think um the industry needs things like Gamescom and E3 and whatever else. Um, and I think they do genuinely kind of breathe a bit of life into it. They are where you meet human beings who actually work on video games and you feel their excitement and their, also their anxiety and their, <laughs> and their, uh, their sort of day three, uh, you know, nerves when something's going wrong or I had one, you know, poor guy who, um, everything had been perfect until I came along and it was like a smaller game, I think. And then um, it crashed like 10 minutes in with like a bug he'd never seen before. And he was like, oh my God, of course, Eurogamer comes and immediately it breaks and I don't know how to fix it. And he had to just sort of describe the rest of the demo to me. Oh, <laughs> terrible. And I'm like, I don't care like because this is the Gamescom. Like, ev- In my experience, everyone's game breaks when you play it at Gamescom. That's yeah. just kind of what happens when you're on a master show floor. Anyway, lots of little things like that, and it um, was just quite invigorating and, and um, just a very, very positive experience. I saw some like, freelancers who write for Eurogamer as well in person for the first time, which was really nice. So very, very good. How was it compared to previous years? Um, well, the only one I've been to in person before was 2017, I'm going to say. Okay. Um, and it was very different on the games front. Um, like 2017 was you know ea had like almost an entire um you know corner of the show or something ridiculous like it was massive and i was covering you know i think we sent, sent three or four of us and i was covering uh i think a star wars game and a battlefield and fifa and something else and then going to go see like a dishonored expansion and a new wolfenstein and all this stuff and then uh interviewing like I interviewed like Dinger from um mm-hmm. from Arcane and that sort of thing. So like big interviews, big games, big triple A stuff, loads of budget everywhere. And this time it was just just me from the team, excuse me, sorry. And um much much more subdued. The games were much without being disrespectful, smaller. Um just smaller budget, smaller presence, that sort of thing. Um so it made for a kind of quite an unusual experience. I had time to go well, I didn't have loads of time, but I had just about enough time to go and, and see some like smaller indie stuff and that sort of thing, which you just never normally have time for at Gamescom. 
Um, and uh, that changes the vibe quite a lot. It means that you know, there are much fewer big stories and that sort of thing, but um, more of the sort of, I think, the stuff that I really like, which is you know seeing the developers who are sat next to their games wanting to talk about it. There are a couple of big interesting things as well. Which yeah, we'll I think get from to. our perspective, uh, Liv, I don't know if you felt like this as well, but it seemed like not all of the industry was there. And I've talked to some people. There are other people in the office who went um, f for different parts of our company, people that uh, run the EGX shows that we put on. And it's interesting hearing uh, them talk about it from their point of view. It sounds like a lot of the industry just doesn't have playable builds of games ready at the moment, I guess, in dealing with the pandemic and everything closing down and adjusting to working from home. That's just not something they're creating at the moment. So without these kind of, it, it's not something they can easily just siphon off and go, here's a playable part of our game. They have to spend time a lot of the year actually building these things. And I guess they make them for E3 and then it carries over to other shows for the rest of the year, but they're not there at the moment, which I think is what you're sort of seeing at Gamescom um, and maybe other shows around the world where these, these demos aren't available. And it, it felt a bit muted from that point of view. I think you could almost see it in the opening night live thing as well. Did you get that sense, Liv, as well? Yeah, certainly for us sort of on the news team, it in a sort of news kind of perspective, it, it felt empty because, you know, you didn't have a lot of the big players there like Xbox or Sony. Um, but, you know, a lot of the bigger studios and companies, like they're all doing their own live streams and stuff. So yeah. you do get that information, but it's, you don't get the same experience of getting to go hands-on with them. Yeah. Yeah, talking absolutely. Of, I, yeah. No, sorry, go on, Bertie. Go. I was just going to say, talking <laughs> of hands-on, what, what did you play there? Because you, you, you mentioned it a bit yourself, but th there is a positive in all this, and that is that some of the smaller games get a chance to come through. When the big games are there, some of that sunlight is revealed for for everyone else and they get a <laughs> yeah. chance to to come through so what did you play and what was because there's always a buzz around these shows you yeah. meet up with other press and everyone's like oh did you see this game you know did you play that was it any good what was the buzz at gamescom this year that's a nice way of putting it with the clearing the trees um for some sunlight i think um oh it's tricky in terms of real buzz i mean there was there was kind of like a jokey buzz around the pinocchio game oh, um right. P, life, life of P. Life, life, <laughs> P. Lies of P. Lies um, of Pi, it got called for us. Right. Um, which I didn't I didn't get to go see, but I kind of I heard so so things and I already had a full full schedule before stuff start like that started coming available. Um and um I suppose in terms of what I got to see, Callista Protocol had quite a good mm. um reception. It was the one we was we were talking about that felt most like a sort of big ticket E3 style um, demo, I guess, or like booth, like it was hands off. But it's one of those ones where um, you get sort of taken into quite a slightly more elaborate booth. And then you um, go into, I suppose there's like a sub booth within it that had a couple rows of chairs and like a very big screen. And it was <laughs> very loud, overly loud. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's some big, confident american guy giving you a presentation and you're like yes this is video games um and uh, and, it, and then it was an interview with a um with a, 
what you would call a top tier um, candidate uh, who I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know whether I should talk about this stuff before I put it on the site or not. It might be on the site by the time this actually goes talk live. Talk about it. Go for it. Um, it's with <laughs> um, oh, what's his name? You know the the head guy Glenn for Schofield. Glenn Schofield. Thank you. Oh my god. Um, and it is the most Glenn Schofield game I've ever seen in my life. It's <laughs> it's like the game is the game is effectively it's like 2022's version of like an on rails shooter where you know, it's like a theme park and you're just kind of drifting from one room to the next at one point there is an actual water slide I that saw you're this on in the trailer right right now. yes um so i think there's i think there's a lot of crossover between what i saw in the trailer and that they talked us through some of the gameplay stuff and that sort of thing explained it um and schofield is just such a character he's got this kind of like <laughs> he's got i mean this in the nicest most non-threatening way but there's no way to say this in a way that isn't weird but he has like a, a sort of new jersey mob boss energy to him <laughs> where he's like he's a big guy like just just broad and like just you know fills the room and very confident and but also kind of jet lagged and he's kind of like confident but very laid back and sort of <laughs> start asking questions and he's like uh i think i was talking about th- there's a lot of things that are in his game that are sort of similar to uh dead space stuff right and i'm not like a dead space expert but I, this is part of the angle of it was like you know you're releasing your own thing and then finally breaking free from dead space it's a spiritual successor to dead space which got sort of cut short you know early by ea or whatever the story is there and now ea happens to be doing a remaster or a remake of Dead Space right at the same time that you're releasing releasing your your sort of true Dead Space game. And, you know, how does that feel and stuff? And he was talking about how there were some things that he didn't want to, or that originally he didn't put in the game because uh, people were kind of going, oh, well, you know, like Dead Space had that, so you can't really put that in there. And eventually he was just kind of like, oh, you know, they're talking about you know, stomping on heads and stuff. And I like stomping on stuff, so I put it in there. <laughs> I'm like good for you man you put it in there it's your game it's just such a great chat so I'm really looking forward to to writing that up I haven't got to it yet it's one of those where I'm actually looking forward to listening to the transcript for the first time I really like studio heads yeah obviously Glenn Schofield has this whole um yeah uh you know background but he's this sort of celebrity almost in in video game terms and I love it when you come across someone with big charisma like that because often you don't you know you come across a creative designer or, or someone somewhere and and it's quite flat or in, introspect in, introvert and you're yeah. like yeah that's fine it's just yeah i think you want a, an occasion you know you want yeah a- yeah and also he like he's i feel terrible for saying mob boss and i want to really emphasize no, but it's I mean, perfect it's, like, it's, it's so me. perfect it's just, it just <laughs> he has that kind of like that that sort of very authoritative charisma if you know what i mean and uh and uh, I just, yeah, I like you're saying, I just love the chat. He He's very willing to talk about the things you want a studio head or like a lead developer or sort of a visionary to talk about, yeah. which is there, you know, he said like, oh, I have a style. I'm not going to do the accent anymore. <laughs> but yeah, he kind of says that he knows he has a style. He knows he has stuff that are in his games. And rather than sort of fight against that because things are changing, it's like, well, it's going to come to a point where people will come to these games because they know what they're going to get from him. And there's some interesting stuff about like, how does he, you know, how do you scare people with a, a game in like a sequel like this, where people know what they're getting and they're almost mm-hmm. going into it expecting 
certain things so how when when fear often comes from like the unknown how do you sort of create horror from uh from that starting point of everyone knowing what's already going to be in your game because it has its trademarks right so there's some really interesting stuff that, that he talks about and i i think we get onto some good topics and he's he's funny about like the humor of the game and that sort of thing because it it has this innate there are some things that happen that are almost like punchlines at the end of a scene which uh <laughs> there's this whole philosophical thing about you know horror being kind of like on a sort of like horseshoe kind of thing with uh comedy right and you sort of eventually come full circle and arrive in one or the other if you go too far into like extreme horror it ends up being funny um <laughs> and so <laughs> and so uh there's just some nice stuff about like the balance of like getting the humor right without sort of undercutting it and that sort of thing it was just a really good chat so uh, similarly talking to other journalists that seemed like the one that people got the most out of on that sort of level um so that's probably what i would say the buzz is there was stuff like sonic was there um i you know spoke to mr team sonic himself um what, what sonic uh, the hedgehog yeah sonic sonic mr. himself sonic. no yeah mr sonic that's his official name um i think it's uh izuka i think i've got that right um i'm so sorry if i haven't sonic fans again not not sonic guys they've sent the wrong guy to gamescom basically they sent some amateur out and just be like best of luck um but that was actually a really good chat and again he was quite I asked him about the essence of Sonic and he was quite willing to talk about this, which wow. blew my mind. <laughs> Normally you ask someone something like that and they're just kind of like, oh, I don't really know. Don't, you know, they give you something a bit vague, but uh, he was actually quite up for it. So I'm, um, I'm quite happy with how these things went. I think there was, there was enough good stuff, even though uh, it wasn't big. There were little ones. I feel, I feel bad. I, sh- I should mention indie stuff that I really like as well. I'm also aware I'm, I'm talking a lot, but if no, you know, if Go you'll let it. me cool. carry on, yeah, yeah, there was <laughs> there was good good stuff that I really liked. Um, oh, what would I pick out? Um, okay, so there's a little French game called Dordogne. Oh, I think yes. I've, I pronounced that right. Uh, it has the, the French sort of uh, NG in it, um, which is about uh, going back in time to your memories. Um, of childhood, I think your grandma passes away or something, you go back to her home and clear it out and you relive these memories. Um, and it's very, it's so French because it's like a mindfulness game and there's this thing where you uh, you walk around the environment and you have to sort of collect words as well as recording sounds and this sort of thing. And it will literally just be sort of the word, I don't know, like tranquility written across, you know, sort of like a forest as you're walking through it. Um, and so it's quite, I don't know why for this is French. I think because someone told me that um, in the Quantic Dream offices, you know, David Cage's studio, there is, uh, when you walk in in the entrance, there's a wall with the word emotion written across it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and so I do. <laughs> As soon as I saw these words in this game, I started associating it with that. But uh, but I feel like this does it slightly more artfully than than, than Mr. Cage does. Um, but I, jo- I enjoyed that. It's actually quite a nice game. Um, what else was cool? Uh, oh, I saw Thomas Salah, your your pal oh, Thomas yeah. Salaberti, who's going to the Falcon, guy behind the Falcon, who's got who's making a new game in the Falcon universe, but it is like a townscaper game. Uh, where you just sort of like point the game in a direction and it sort of just builds structures in that way. And it basically came from him being like, he had, I think, a bit of sort of 
creative angst uh, for a while. And then I was like, well, what do I actually like making? And realized that the stuff that he likes doing is building these little structures and went, well, I should just make a whole game that's just that because that's what I find fun. And it's kind of this meta thing of like, well, now the game is basically doing what he likes building as a developer, which is really cool. Um, I like, I respect I, him I'm a lot fascinated by him because he, the Falconeer, I don't know if you've played this, Liv, it was like an Xbox uh, Series SX kind of launch tie-in thing on, on, on Game Pass, a, a, a kind of coincidentally, not kind of brand of that, but he's this solo developer and he made this kind of flight aerial combat game. And it's very much a sort of outpouring of his mind. I love this solo development thing. And this, again, sounds like he's following that. And he's a guy who's got sort of big, strong opinions and they come out quickly. He's quite mm. an unfiltered kind of guy. I don't think, you know, he might... <laughs> yeah, he's a quad machine. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he'll mind me saying that. But that I find that fascinating because I, I quite like personal statements in, you know, games that also happen to be personal statements in a sense. Because then you can sort of dig dig beneath them and find the character beneath them i quite like how he's staying in his own universe as well because often it feels not like a waste but a missed opportunity when you build something like that and then you're like well i guess i've got to build another one now for my new my yeah new thing. i agree it's it's really cool um it, it was hard to it was hard to sort of pin it down in watching the demo that he gave me away it, it was like a hands-off thing you know just him and a laptop which again I love this about Gamescom. Same with Dordogne, actually, where it's just like a person and a laptop. Brilliant. Um, and he was sort of just showing me how you sort of noodle around with <laughs> building these cities. Uh, there's no, <laughs> you know, it, it's like directionless. And I just love, I love that he's just gone. It was actually, believe it or not, very similar to the uh, Schofield thing, right? Where I think people kept saying to him, you know, you should put like resources in there or like let people see it or have more of a UI. Because like no UI and, you sort of get access to a resource if you build on it, but you don't, it's not like a measurable thing. Like, Oh, you need 50 wood and you don't have it. Um, and he just kept going, well, I don't want to. So <laughs> no. <laughs> and I, again, I really respect that. And now I'm really curious to play this game that, that seems to be such a direct thing. Like you say, it's like just pulled directly out of this man's brain and put into a video game. Um, it's really exciting. And it, you feel like you're right on the, on the cusp of, you know, like, uh, creativity when you're talking to people like this. There's this more. I think uh, the last worker was a great one. It was a similar one um, with Jorg. Uh, I'm going to say, hang on, Jorg, talk amongst yourselves while I definitely don't <laughs> uh, type his name into Twitter. I think it's Jorg something with a T, but I can't remember what it I'm is. I'm not sure. We're going to draw out. Yeah, you just, just. <laughs> Jorg? Jorg? Is it Jörg? <laughs> I love that you still I've have lost, it. <laughs> I've lost it. The last worker. <clears throat> but just a moment. Uh... <laughs> um, Liv, what caught... Please help. <laughs> what caught your eye from Gamescom? So we were watching it um, from afar. Have you kept up with Gamescom in the past or is this one of the first times you've been looking at it properly? How, how was it from your um, perspective? This, is, this has to be one of the first years probably that I've paid a lot of attention to it. I used yeah. to, it, previously I would like always watch all of the E3 streams. Um, but obviously E3 has kind of not been around for the last couple of years. So this mm. was the first time I think that I properly really paid attention to Gamescom. Um, for me, like I guess the one that I was really looking forward to 
before before it happened was the Clister Protocol, simply because of Dead Space and Glasgow Schofield. Um, but during the sh- during the opening night live, the one that really caught my attention was Where Winds Meet. That was the kind oh yeah, of, um, that was yeah, the Chinese yeah. studio Wuxia yeah. one, which looks really really good. Ah, yeah, I saw, just saw a trailer of this. It looks amazing. I uh, I made a note of it. This yet another very very um, what's the word? Sort of, it's like a prestige-looking game coming out of like a new Chinese studio. Yeah. We've had a few of these, haven't we? Like like the um, the Wukong one. Um, I think there's one or two others as well. Yeah, that looks really impressive. That's next year, right? I think. I so. think it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think there might even be. Really, yeah. It just looks really, really cool. Like, I can't wait to learn more about it and see how they've like translated, you know, the the martial arts style and the the, the elements of you know. Um, like running across water and things like that and how they've translated that into gameplay I'm really really looking forward to learning more about it oh fantastic I really liked the look of um, Moonbreaker by um, I think Unknown Worlds are they called Unknown Worlds Uh, the developer of Subnautica yeah I think you're right Um, it's like a miniature game um, and I, I just thought it had loads of charisma and energy a turn based it's got the turn based battles but the 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 USP, if you like, of it is that you can paint your miniatures as you would in Warhammer or something. There's a whole sort of um, painting tool thing where you can... And it doesn't look too complicated. It's not like a faffy thing. It looks it looks quite fun. And it's a huge departure for them. I quite like that when they do something completely different. And that, from my perspective, admittedly through my filter, that was quite exciting. And that was one of the more exciting things of the opening night stream, which was a bit shapeless yeah, from my there was a lot of stuff but it didn't seem to have much kind of story to it it was just like here's another thing here's another thing here's another thing mm. um i was going to ask you too about that because i was uh stuck on a train when this was happening with with much worse wi-fi than i'd hoped for <laughs> so i had no idea i basically arrived at gamescom and everyone opens every conversation with like what do you think of opening night live what do you think of our trailer and i'm like i haven't seen it i just woke up and <laughs> i got in at 1 a.m 1 a.m last night so uh but yeah what what did you make of that was it how was uh our friend jeff Liv, you go well yeah i have to agree it kind of did it just it it really did just feel kind of like here's a bunch of games that we've got to show you um it definitely didn't feel sort of like there was any kind of like i guess not narrative but kind Mm. of but kind of sort of a thing pu- pulling all of these games together. It was just kind of like, here's a trailer, here's another trailer, here's an exclusive, yeah. here's an exclusive. Um, but it was, I think it was really nice to see a lot of, you know, sort of smaller games and indie games that maybe wouldn't get the same kind of spotlight on them getting shown. And there was, I mean, in Jeff Keighley's style, of course, there was Kojima. <laughs> Oh my god! When he was like, "I'm doing a podcast," I was like, "Are you?" Are I, you I have a theory about this. I have a theory about this. I heard about the podcast. Of course, the, the important news from Opening Night Live made it out to me. Um, but just before Opening Night Live, Keely announced that they were adding new awards categories for oh. the Game Awards for like best adaptation of a video game. Which I was like, oh, that makes sense because there's like lots of new TV shows and stuff going on for games, and that's like a nice way of doing that. But then one of the categories, like or one of the types of media that he mentioned, was like, oh, you know, so if there's like a TV show or a movie 
or a comic book or a podcast that mm. <laughs> is based on games that we can give that an award. And I'm like, you've definitely, <laughs> you've definitely just created this awards category so you can give your your pal Kojima a, a best Any best excuse to Hideo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's exciting to see Hideo there, right? Because he's yeah. That- He's that big, again, a bit like, I mean, bigger than Glenn Schofield, but he's another one of Sorry, those Glenn. people who's, who's uh, Glenn, that's it, Glenn's going to be angry now. God, I hope he's not listening to this. Up. Yeah, I'm going to wake up with a horse to on you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it made me think after opening Night Live that there's a real art to putting together a conference. I mean, obviously there is. It's just something we've talked about year after year after year, when particularly when E3 comes around and you, you have three platform holders doing their each each doing their thing and everyone's like who did best who did best but they must spend well there must be some people spending the entire year thinking about this and planning this and shaping this and kind of like like a topiary bush um and i think well i mean jeff does too but he's got the two things and i think the game awards is mm. but they're long they're big i i would like to see a bit more curation there yeah it was a little bit uh quantity over quality maybe is sort of what you get with these things it's the one upside to the e3 ones they're often not actually that long because it's obviously there's only so much that one publisher can show whereas if you put all of e3 into you know like a four-hour conference or something that's just gonna <laughs> exhaust people so it's, it's like breaking it up actually kind of helps so yeah but at the same time like you're saying Liv, it's nice to see some you know some indies or like independent things or double a stuff featured alongside you know, the blockbusters, it does give them some prominence. Um, I think maybe it just sounds like it wears people out a bit as well. But. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year mm. um, with these shows. Let's move on because um, there was uh, a big game out this week, a game that everyone's talking about at the moment. It could be one of the games of the year at the end. We'll see. Um, and the game is it's a game I'm excited about. It's Immortality. It's the new game by, I keep wanting to call it Immorality, but it's not that. (laughs) Immortality, the new game by Her Story and Telling Lies creator Sam Barlow, plus lots of others, of course. Um, And Chris, you reviewed this, um, and it's a wonderful review. I I urge everyone to read it. Um, So let's start at the beginning with this. So what is it? What is the game? Um, (laughs) It is a FMV game, I guess, technically on paper. So like if you played Her Story or Telling Lies, fundamentally very similar in concept. Um, And it also sort of crosses the line into maybe a bit of a point and click adventure, which is, um, you would always assume they're quite similar anyway, but this one, it feels like a more direct comparison. Um, Basically their big sort of gimmick or feature is that they've added something called the concordance feature. So the setup is you are a person viewing a archive of footage that someone has found and assembled of um, this woman called Marissa Marcel, who is an actress in the late 60s, early 70s, and then disappeared and then reappeared mysteriously for another film with one of the directors again in 1999. And your task is to sort of go through the footage and figure out what happened to her um but the sort of creators of this uh, sort of archive have developed something called a concordance feature which allows you to basically click on something on the screen in a in a clip and it, it will sort of match cut to you to 
a uh, a matching thing in a completely different clip. Oh, right. So I was reading your review because I played the other uh, two games. Uh, yeah. I have thoughts about those we'll maybe talk about in a minute. But in those games, you also had a video searching thing. This is what you did. You go through video clips and yeah. you're trying to find new search terms to find new videos to kind of get closer to the truth. Yeah. But in this one, you can directly hop yeah. uh, videos by clicking on, I think you said in the review, like a key, for instance. Yeah. So, so it's quite unusual in how it, it does it. I, I was trying to figure out, was this sort of uh, like an automatic thing where it was like the game, almost like an algorithmic thing, or is it that someone has specifically oh. chosen where you would go to with each one? Because it almost feels like sort of machine learning when you're clicking, because you click on a face and sometimes it will take you to the same person's face. Sometimes it will take you to a different face or just like, oh, if it's a face from the side, it will take you a different, take you to a different face from the side oh. and you're never quite sure if you're being sort of like deliberately led somewhere or if you're just exploring this kind of impossible you know infinite maze of of images and links um so sometimes the example i gave was a key right so if someone's holding a key it might and you click on the key it might take you to another thing of like a key on the table or like a keyhole or a key card or something similar um sometimes it might change a little bit so a snake to a snake shaped earring or um <laughs> there's, a, there's one that's a joke that i won't uh that i won't spoil about a um a famous person who's who has a cameo in it or a, a fake cameo in it um but there, there are so like it might take you from a face to a painting or something like that and it, you're you're trying to interpret the whole game is almost figuring out what is what has meaning and what doesn't and so you might go from someone's face to a painting and go, is that painting of them? Is that painting representing them? Is this, is this like part of the uh, very intentional, almost heavy-handed theming that's coming through in the game? Is that deliberately heavy-handed and it's a commentary on like themes and us interpreting them as like media consumers? Is it um, a necessary thing in, in order to convey the information that I need to pick up? from deciphering this footage to fight to solve the mystery right you piece together the different themes and that will tell me the answer so you're sort of second guessing yourself the whole way through the game and that that second guessing is what i think has elevated it for a lot of people from just a clever story to this slightly more meta actually very meta um sort of piece of of art from a creator who is at once talking about cinema and auteurs and the role of the artist and the relationship and exploitation between particularly women and auteurs. Um, that's something I should have talked about more in my review and I regret not talking about more oh, actually okay. is how much it centers on, on a woman's experience through art. Um, and then his own role as a creator and then your role as a viewer, it's, it's, it's baffling. And this is why I think people who like sort of like media crit, as you would call it, people who are really into that, have have completely fallen for it and, and justifiably like it is it's complete magic and i have i have no idea how it was possible to create i should emphasize as well sorry i'm going on but the actual setup is that uh marissa marcel has been in three separate films so one in 68 one in 70 and one in 1999 and the footage is is of the films but there is often a bit at one or the other end of the footage you know, after the director says cut, where the camera rolls for 
three or four seconds and everyone ah. slips back into being actors and so you you realize that they have successfully created three separate eras and then within the eras created era accurate films so what a film set would look like in 1968 and then what actors would be like in 1968 as well as the role that they would be playing in a 1968 film so you, <laughs> again you have like three layers of of work and then the fact that these all interlink with each other the themes very much overlap sometimes it's really obvious sometimes it's very subtle it's completely i don't like saying mind-blowing because it's like everything's mind-blowing but it is genuinely mind-blowing i there are times when my jaw was just on the floor playing it um it's it's really special i i have a couple of little criticisms but i almost don't want to i don't know how much i want to go into that but yeah i so one of the things for me um and this is just like a, it's maybe a superficial thing but mm. i'm wondering how well is it from a production values point of view i think i read in your review that yeah. the, um the, a the acting is something sometimes they get hung up on because it's horrible if you're watching something you know you want to like it but you're not convinced by one of the performances or something yeah or you, or you don't believe in it and for the rest of the thing that is on your mind yeah i think I think it's a very clever setup because it enables you to sort of cover, disguise the budget of it because there's no way this will have the budget of like a Hollywood film or something like that, or even, you know, a triple A game or something, you know, like half my maid is an independent studio and it's very independent. I think Barlow's tweeted about being sort of curled up in the ball on the floor in an apartment during lockdown going, am I going to run out of money? Um, wow. I'm really panicking about it. And they've sort of managed to hide that, because the setup is these are real actors playing actors who are playing characters. <laughs> and so you never quite know, is this, is this slightly, you know, sort of shonky acting or is it someone is intentionally and very effectively doing shonky acting because you know, you're in like a, a sort of a very seedy crime movie from 1970 or, um, yeah, I mean, like the the 1968 one is like a they've got kind of this pseudo Hitchcock directing it, but it's really a an erotic, religious, uh, sort of gothic thriller horror. My favorite right? kind. I know it's genuinely it's so fun to watch. Where I I got to a point where I just wanted to watch these films. I didn't really. I, I was like, I don't really care what happens to. I just want, <laughs> I want to know what happens in this movie. It's great, um, and so it is very hard to really nail down the quality of the performances i think it's the moments where they are playing just themselves at like kind of you know off camera if you know what I mean, out of character um where you can see their quality as as actors and i think they are broadly quite successful there's the odd one who's hamming it up a bit but you're like whatever i'll let you off um the main there are a few characters who sort of appear in different ways sort of haunt the 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 archives i guess it and uh they are broadly very good um or they do enough i think with just how much how difficult it must be to like again marissa marcel probably plays like i don't know six different characters because wow. she's playing herself in different eras and she's also playing different characters within those things and some found footage and you know she's doing a, a documentary and again she's like she's playing the actress who is playing the role of uh you know sort of you know how you talk about a movie star in the real world right they'll say 
they actually have a persona. So when you go on like Saturday Night Live or like the Jonathan Ross show or something, they're sort of playing a character ah. still. And so she's doing that in certain things because she's on a talk show or she's on in a documentary or something like that. And so when you think about the actual range of different personas she has to take on, it, it's so vast. And so I've seen some reviews where they talk about her being a bit sort of inert. But I think that's just the only way to play it because if you if if she put any more energy into that role, it would be so obvious that she's like, now I'm this character, now I'm this character. And it wouldn't, you wouldn't sell the fact that the story is about this person and sort of what they are. Yeah maybe psychologically experiencing as they're as they're passing through these different roles without spoiling it too much it sounds fascinating i'm, I'm yeah. intrigued uh, to play it something else that intrigues me about it um and Liv, you might know something about this but this so Im- immortality is uh out this week on, on pc and xbox but also on netflix so yes. netflix has been pushing into gaming and, it, and it's starting to happen how, how do we play it on netflix do you know about this so usually i'm not i'm not entirely sure exactly how it will work for immortality but the general gist of the amazon thing is is that there's like a little game section and if you like click on a game there it just takes you to like your app store so if you're like on apple or ios right if you click on it it'll just take you like to the apple store to install it okay right interesting yeah but it's but it's linked to your netflix account as well so I think right. when you log in or something, there's like a little thing that links it. So it sort of yeah. unlocks it in the store for you, right? It's it's but you it's go there via the store. Like yeah. Okay. Oh, we should yeah, really try this out, shouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's one of the things. It's it's starting to um, uh, it's starting to ramp up a little bit, isn't it? It's um, yeah, it's starting to become they... a bit more. They're trying to push a lot more people to use it because I think the last stats were like less than one percent of subscribers were using it daily. Um, yeah, I can imagine and, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's obviously it's not their main focus, but they've been they've acquired a couple of studios. Um, can't remember the exact ones, but they've they're you know they're trying to get into the sector a bit more now. Ah, and I see. I think I think having, you know, they've got like into the breach and having something like this, I think will definitely help them. Yeah. I'm intrigued because clearly the potential is massive. There are loads of people using Netflix. I just don't quite know how it will work yet. So maybe we should try it. Um, I also wanted to ask you, Liv, so you're our work experience um, uh, reporter and you're going to be here for, um, I don't know how long you're going to be here, over, over the summer. Um, and it's the first time we've had you on the show. I just wanted to catch up with you quickly and see how you're finding it, really, because I don't know what the reality is like for someone who's sort of seen these things from the outside and then comes onto the inside and sees how people work. And I don't know, how have you found it? What's it been like? I really loved it. It's, it's really, I think whenever you kind of are someone on the outside, like, you know, maybe if you're like someone who, really likes a singer or something or if you like you really like a movie and then you sort of see the behind the scenes work of it it just sort of opens your eyes and it makes you appreciate it a lot more um sometimes I guess well from my perspective sometimes I don't realize kind of how much work goes into it and how busy everyone is (laughs) (laughs) like everyone has everyone's just struggling like 70 different plates at the same time but no, it's it's really it's really it's really amazing. I'm I'm really loving it. This is kind of like not to be cheesy, but like this is like my dream job. 
Oh, fantastic. <laughs> uh, you're saying all the right things, especially about that. <laughs> it's great. You're doing so much PR for us right now by being like, oh my God, everyone works so hard. <laughs> I was saying to, to Bertie that secretly all you have to do is when you get on a video call or something, you just look really grumpy. I learned this from George Costanza in Seinfeld where you know, he discovers that he can just look really stressed all the time and make really look like... Ah, disgruntled noises and the boss gets fucking past and is like keep at it George <laughs> so this, <laughs> this is secretly what I've just adopted here where I just start every video call with my head in my hands like oh god I barely have time for this call I just I'm right in the middle of something um which Bertie knows all about so I'm glad you thanks for keeping up the appearances for us it's very nice yeah, I'm you. glad you're having a nice experience anyway and yeah. that it's it's a positive experience because sometimes I worry that our job's a bit boring on the inside because it, I think it seems really exciting on the outside but on the inside there's some admin and you know there's obviously a lot of writing to do and sometimes the game playing gets pushed out to the peripheries and you're like oh no no you can see it going and you're like don't leave me um but it's a fun job I promise um so let's take a quick look around the rest of the site because I'm conscious of time now. So the other big thing that's going on this week is The Last of Us Part 1 remake on PlayStation 5 is out tomorrow. Um, so there's loads of coverage around the site for it. So uh, Victoria has done this whopping interview with uh, Naughty Dog about it, talking about adding accessibility to it because, of course, Last of Us Part 2 is a, a huge accessibility champion and it's been this kind of watershed moment for what games can achieve. So they're trying to push that into uh, this remake, but she's also talking to them about everything else <laughs> that she can talk to them about as well. Digital Foundry have looked at it through their uh, sort of microscope as they do. They've pulled it apart from a tech perspective and they're really impressed. Um, and Ian and Zoe over on the video team um, have looked at it as well and discussed whether it's worth your 65 pounds, which is a considerable price, of course. Um, I've been doing a bit of podcasting. Don't miss my big podcast with uh, fighting fantasy creators Ian Livingstone and Steve Jackson, which I've just written a big piece for as well. Um, it turns 40 this year. They've got new books coming out this week, uh, one from each of them. I've also talked to the Sierra Online founders, Ken and Roberta Williams, for this big podcast. And they, they talked to me from their boat, right? Uh, which was just brilliant. They, they're big boaters. They are fascinating in so many ways. Um, do listen to that. I'll be writing a big piece from that um, as well. Just to take a tiny quick look at news, uh, Quantic Dream, uh, that French studio behind games that we heard of earlier with emotions, emotions in, their, in their foyer, um, they were bought this week by um, Chinese uh, super company, uh, NetEase, which is the company behind just was so much. There, there isn't often a new studio that pops up without some sort of NetEase or Tencent um, investment. Um, and now Netties are here. A Quantic Dream is currently working on Star Wars Eclipse, a big new Star Wars game, and helping publish an intriguing looking game um, announced last week at Gamescom called Under the Waves, which I really liked uh, the sound of. Quantic Dream is also mired in some workplace culture allegations, which haven't quite been cleared up yet, despite the co-founders obviously coming out and saying, hey, everything's cool here. And it's like, well, well maybe we'll hear it from someone else other than you. Um, also in news this week, uh, the Netflix Cyberpunk 2077 anime series Edrun has got a release date and it's coming out really soon. That's 13th of September. I'm quite excited about this. I still keep meaning to go back to Cyberpunk. Mm. Uh, there's a trailer for it, which I haven't actually watched yet. Um, 
also in Netflix land, um, the Resident Evil series that people didn't really like. Um, that show has now been canned. Uh, so it's not coming back, which is maybe a relief for some of you. <laughs> I don't think anyone's surprised, oh. to be honest. No. <laughs> yeah, true. No, uh, sadly not. Ubisoft's guitar learning uh, game, Rocksmith, which is uh, now a subscription service, uh, Rocksmith Plus, launches on PC next week after being sort of uh, MIA for a long time. Um, will it actually teach you guitar? I don't know. Chris, you were quite interested in this, weren't you? Yeah, I um, I played the first one a little bit uh, as probably their target audience of the guy who owns more guitars than chords he can remember uh, <laughs> i uh yeah I, I picked up the guitar and learned it for a while and then i just have lapsed and so it's one of those games where i go oh i should totally get that and then that'll be how i can get back into it without having to go start lessons again or something but i don't know um i don't know how successful it would be oh music's one of those things where everyone has their own uh way into it and way of working with it and so as soon as you put like a specific structure on learning an instrument i think it will help a lot of people, but it can also be a bit limiting in one way as well. Um, but I'm very curious about it. And, you know, I like guitars, so I remember, <laughs> I'll give it a look. I remember doing a, a video series for Eurogamer years ago now when the first Rocksmith came out. And we didn't actually wow. have a video team here, really. I don't think I can't. Was remember. this the one with Snoop Dogg in it? <laughs> no, I can't remember who videoed it, but I remember Andy Farron of Outside Xbox was there. He at the time he was with Inside Xbox, uh, so this was long before any of that started. And they wow. just had their tenth anniversary. So, anyway, I had best intentions about learning guitar, and it didn't happen. Um, so we'll we'll see how that does. Also, quickly in Newsland, uh, Mafia Three developer Hangar Thirteen has confirmed they're working on a new Mafia game, which I don't think anyone is surprised about, but maybe is also excited about. Their prior thing was cancelled, right? So it's cut. They had a thing, didn't they, Hangar Thirteen, that was going somewhere and it got. Yeah, I'm not sure if we knew canned. what the game was. No, I don't think we did. But a, yeah, a big game of theirs uh, was canned. Yeah. Maybe they had a couple of games. I, I'm not sure, but um, maybe yeah. called time on one of them. Um, and in an era where Sony and Meta are putting the price of their gaming hardware up, uh, famously, HTC Vive has decided to have a quite significant sale um, because their stuff is so expensive. It can be significant, I guess, <laughs> um, and put the price of their um, headsets down um, quite significantly, up to £150 in some case, um, until 11th of September. That's a new story written by Liv, in case you want to go on the site uh, and read it. Um, and that's all for now, really. Thank you, Liv and Chris, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm Bertie. That was Weekly. And we will see you next week. <laughs>